Welcome to Trapping Radio. This is your host Clint Locklear, and I have to say, I wish I could sing that uh, some type of crazy song to go along with this, but it is a, a great day to be an American. Kyle Rittenhouse was just found innocent on all five charges. What does that mean to Americans? That means when writers are trying to stomp you and kick you and hit you with objects and pulling guns on you, you're allowed to use self-defense. That's what that means. We haven't went so freaking crazy yet that people in the jury of that trial decided that even though you're using this scary, scary, medium calibered black rifle known as an AR-15, that you even though you use something as devastating as that little bitty high velocity 22 round, that doesn't exclude you from being be in self-defense. And I guarantee you, there's probably going to be some riots. And there's probably going to be a lot more people going, yeah, we're not going to take it anymore. You want to beat me, you can bleed for it. I have a feeling that's probably what's going to happen a little bit. And the left is terrified that the average person is not going to let people beat them and shoot them. Can you imagine the stupidity of the people that are on the other side wanting Rittenhouse to get sent to prison because he didn't let people kill him? Standing up for the pedophiles and the criminals? I mean, if you want to know all you need to know about the rioters, three people get shot and all of them are criminals. What are the odds? So saying that that's just normal, everyday Americans going to do these things, no. <laughs> no. But hallelujah. A young man, which is 17, by the way, which I'm getting ready to say something about, 17 showed tremendous control when people are trying to kill him. Tremendous control. Because a lot of people wouldn't have had that control. Now, him being 17, you want to know what's happening right now with the mainstream media? Yeah, they got their stories out there saying that the, I'm sure, because I haven't looked, I haven't watched the news news in um, months. I'm sure they're saying that the judge was partial because he was a supremacist himself and racist because he had Lee Greenwood on his phone and he mentioned the Constitution and the founders and that this just shows that America is racist. See, I haven't heard any of this. I can just tell you what they're going to say. And that there's no justice and the left is always getting the short end of the stick. And, and all of this garbage. But you want to really know what's going on behind the scenes at the mainstream media, digital, and TV and cable. They are crapping their pants right now. 
because they have been slandering a minor, calling him a white supremacist with no proof, saying he was in a militia with zero proof, slandering a minor. Laws are very different for minors than adults. See, if, if you're an adult my age and this happens to you, uh, may have some recourse. But a 17-year-old? Oh, dude. Kyle Rittenhouse is about to make, over the next couple of years, more money than he's going to be able to spend in his lifetime. Because if he's got any sense, which it seems like he does, and he's going to have lawyers going, you remember the other kid in Washington that just stood there and nervously smiled at a Native American as he got up in his face? And all the media started saying all this stuff about being a white supremacist and racist and all this stuff. He made millions and millions and millions of dollars from news organizations. If you don't think this is what's going to happen, I guarantee you there's a lawyer right now telling Kyle, you know that kid? Well, let somebody hold your beer, brother, because this is about to get fun. And I hope he sues the living crap out of everybody all the way up to Joe Biden for saying that he was a white supremacist in a militia. I hope they go on a suing spree that takes years to get through. And I hope he makes a billion dollars. I hope he just ruins these people that do these stories with blatant lies and blatant slander because they're so used to it that there's no recourse. But they keep to seem forgetting that when you do it to a, uh, a minor, that's a different ball game. And I hope when it's done, they're on their knees. Because media that does what our media did to that kid is not the media. It's a propaganda arm of an organization. And they should pay. So besides that good news... It's getting up into November where we're at. Bucks are going absolutely crazy. Saw two in the yard this morning running around trying to find some female companionship. I was out walking the other day. Humongous 11-pointer. Runs out in the road chasing does. Uh, these are deer are perfectly safe for me because I don't shoot bucks. But it is fun to watch how they can go crazy this time of year a little dangerous to drive very fun to watch i want to continue with the show guys about what we did last week i uh, got an email that i'm going to read next week from a guy talking about uh, newer trappers and i think uh, he's correct about some of the stuff i should talk about but i want to continue on so i can finish up basically we talked about a dirt hole i want to talk about flat sets and i want to talk about blind sets so basically, that's going to cover however you're going to 
decide whatever a set is. If, if you'll follow some of the stuff we're talking about and you're a newer trapper or even an older trapper, hopefully there's some tips in here that can, you know, help you catch a little bit more fur because that's the goal. We're trappers. Before we do that, I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, we have F&T Fur Harvesters. We have Funky Trap Tags and Supplies. Dunlap Lures and Oki Cable and Trap. All of these guys I've done business with for years. You can find their links down in the show notes. Uh, you can go straight to their websites. I've done business with them. I've worked with them. And I can tell you that if I don't trust somebody, they're not going to be a sponsor. Not once have I ever even had to halfway question something with any of these guys. And I don't think you're going to have to either. Now, I will say this. As it gets closer to Christmas, the Postal Service is going to start getting screwed up and UPS and everything is going to start getting backed up. So let's not confuse reality with our wants when it comes to thinking that you're going to still be able to get stuff in 48 hours after you place an order sometimes as you get closer to Christmas. There's nothing these guys can do about that. But I, what I can tell you they will be doing is they will be putting your stuff in boxes as fast as possible. Most of them send it out the same day. And they will get it in the system, which is all they can do, as fast as they can. The beauty thing of it is you're not having to worry about them having your credit card information. They're not selling your information to somebody else. You don't have to worry about them holding on to your money while they wait three months or three weeks to get your stuff out. Just really good businesses. And better than that, they're good people to deal with. And in our days, in today's world, I think that's pretty important. So check out our sponsors. They, uh, we have uh, basically our own server so it doesn't crash. And it costs money, and that's what they help pay for. So, and if you're getting an order from them, let them know that you appreciate them being a sponsor. That lets them know that uh, people are paying attention. Now, I want to talk about something, and I'm having, uh, I've played around this in my mind about the last hour trying to figure out how to say this. Because it's a double-edged sword. So what I'm going to say has to be taken into context before we get to flat sets there's a cultural difference between I think a lot of southerners and midwesterners and northeasterners I'm not so sure about the midwest and like California I'm not really sure there, there's a difference in how we view money. And I want to talk just a little bit about money before we continue on with the, the trapping show. Now, the context I wanted you to, to think about is if someone's saying what I'm getting ready to say and you're really, really struggling with money, you're going to think that this is kind of like an asshole thing to talk about. And trust me, for years when I got into trapping 
I was seriously struggling for money, which meant I had to hustle at every single opportunity that I had to make ends meet and just try to get my head above water enough that I didn't have to struggle all the time. Now, if you're in that situation, first question is, what are you doing to change that situation? Because that's a pretty important question you need to be asking yourself. If you're accepting that situation, well, then you really can't be complaining about being in that situation. Because there's no reason in America for someone to be like that for decades. Things happen. Uh, mishaps happen. And you can get slammed. Uh, medical vehicles. Stuff like that. But there's really no reason for grown men over years to stay in that situation. There's things you can do. You can make yourself more valuable to people than uh, just minimally for reasons to pay you. And I'm not saying that in a harsh way. That's just a fact. Now, for a lot of guys that listen to this, you do okay on money. I'm not talking about rich. I'm talking about you do okay, you're comfortable. And I've talked about it in the past. They've done all kinds of surveys with psychiatrists. And this will depend on inflation and different things like that and the value of the dollar and stuff like that. But what they found out is someone that finally starts making eighty to $100,000 a year is about the happiest they're going to be in their life when it comes to financials. When you start making 200000 500000 or a million, the game changes. It flips. And to continue to produce that type of income, you're probably pushing yourself into certain ways of never enjoying what you have. And I have a friend, and I'm not going to say who it is, that I remember having a conversation with not that long ago. And the, the, the point of the conversation basically was we got to make money whenever you can. And there's some truth and not truth to that depending on the context of your situation. I happen to know that this person is not struggling for money. But something as simple as just going somewhere for fun, oh no, 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 that's going to cut into the income. Taking off early every now and then because they can, oh no, 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 that's, that's, that's going to mess with the income. When you become, and I can tell you from someone that's been just poor, poor to comfortable, a lot of people figure something out along the way, and I definitely have figured this out. And I've talked to other friends of mine that are also comfortable, <coughs> and they kind of figured this out along the way. And we all kind of come to the same conclusion, but in different ways. 
once you hit comfortable and a little bit better if you keep chasing the dollar like it's the last dollar on earth or the last dollar you're ever going to make what is the purpose of having that dollar what's the purpose of it and you may be thinking it's you know clint's turned this straight up you know communist hippie here he's going to be saying that you know money doesn't matter and i'm not saying that money matters money's super important in the modern world but so is having a little bit of freedom freedom from feeling like you're obligated to every waking minute that you're awake that you have to be doing something that's earning money because I can tell you that's not freedom that's slavery self-imposed but that's slavery to money because I tell you what happens you don't go on vacation I know people that have never taken their family on vacation and if you knew what was in their 401k you would look at them like they were crazy because money was not an issue but the concept of spending money on just fun and not making more money during that time was such a radical concept to them that they just could not do it that is slavery to money. That means you don't go deer hunting when you can. That means you probably don't do the trapping that you can. You don't take the time to take the kids fishing when you can because you get so wrapped up in chasing a dollar. And I want you to think about something. I want you to be honest with me. Let's say you're making 80 grand a year, 100 grand a year. Let's just say that you're you're in that that part of the psychological studies where people are the happiest. You you you're not at the point where, you know, you've got $79,000 a year worth in debt. I mean, you you've got some wiggle room here. If not, you need to start asking yourself some other questions, which I'm sure you can figure that out, because that's a situation you need to rectify. But three years ago, you were also making eighty to a hundred thousand, say eighty. You're comfortable. Now, what did you do with that eighty thousand dollars? You probably bought a bunch of junk you don't use. You probably had a bunch of services, monthly fees that you really don't use all that much. You may have a little bit of that in the bank. You may have some of that in a 401k, but where did it go? Where did it go? Unless you're like a geek and tracks every penny you spend, which would make me want to ask you some questions if you're that anal about money. But let's say that you're a regular person. Where did the money go? You have no idea. 
So was it so important that you had it because you can't even come up with what you did with it? Yeah, you could get pizza whenever you wanted it. You probably got a couple extra guns, some ammo. Pretty important stuff, I think. Did you use the money to like have a better life? Or did you use the money for whatever reason it is and you don't know what that is? And now you're chasing it again to have it so you don't know what you're going to do with it. Oh, you'll find a way to spend it. Oh, that, that's that's no problem. Americans find a way to spend money is no problem. But what's the point? And for trappers, I want you to think about something. Yeah, you take off a couple of weeks to go trapping. And depending on if it's not paid paid vacation, you're not going to make as much money during the year if you do that. But if you don't even know what that money was used for, how important was the purposes that you spent it on? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, was it a down ha payment for a house? Was it uh, college for the kids? What was it? We don't know. You don't know. I can't tell you what I spend half the money I spend on. And a lot of times I sit back and go, what in the world? And I can tell you, I'm at a point in my life, just like some other friends I've talked to, I on purposely do things to not make money. And guess what? It's okay. Every year, I go down with Carl, Chip, and Tim. Uh, Jeff Dunlap and Haggerty's went down one year. Um, actually, I'm going to talk to Carl about a neighbor of mine that maybe if he wouldn't mind him coming down. And we trap hard. No, we play hard, but we trap hard. Do you know what I make on that trip? I'm in the negative. I don't make any income, but it costs a lot of fuel to drive over there. I gotta get a trapping license. Lure that I use, snares that I use up. It adds up pretty quick. We're all trappers, we understand that. You could not now talk me out of not going to Arkansas because it's more valuable than money. It's way more valuable. I'm with my core group of friends, most of them. We talk a lot. We laugh a lot. We rib each other a lot. We drive around and check everybody's traps. We try to play games with each other. It's, I would say, more important than it is if I go get paid on a job. Because it's life. It's real life. Now, me and my wife, 
except for last year during COVID because you couldn't go anywhere. We normally take a trip or two a year going somewhere to do something. And I can promise you it is not good for my business. But it's good for me and Cindy. Way more than the money would be. What are we going to do? Eat two ribeyes instead of one for dinner? Just leave lights on in the house so we have a bigger electric bill? What are we going to do with that money? Yeah, we invest in the future. But at some point, humans need to realize you're human. And you're not a cog in some machine that you've got to continuously just scratch and dig to make every penny you can to spend on what you can't even tell me for. Why am I saying this? Because it's that time of year, guys. There's not enough money that you could pay me to be worth the experiences I've got in trapping. Or going out to Wyoming and shooting elk. Or hunting caribou in Alaska. Or deep sea fishing in Florida. Or having uh, scotch classes in Scotland and learning the differences between Irish whiskeys. Screw the money sometimes. And when it comes to your trapping, sometimes that's just what you need to say is screw the money. Last week I talked about the old guard and the new guard. The old guard was all about the money. The new guard's not as much about the money. But regardless if it's just trapping or not, enjoy your life. Now, if, like I said, if you're in a situation for whatever reason where you're just scratching and digging just to stay afloat, this probably doesn't pertain to you. But if you keep scratching and digging and you keep working hard and you become a have more value as a person, an employee, or a side hustle, you're going to eventually reach where you can keep digging. And all of a sudden, you're going to realize you're going to wake up and you're going to be 65. You're going to be broke down. You're not going to be able to go do anything. And you're just going to be able to sit and watch TV because that's physically all you can do anymore. And you hadn't done a damn thing, really, your entire life. Some of the experiences I've had from having Mexican gangbangers question me and Ed about the value of our coyote fur where we had to sleep with them the next three or four nights where we're getting covered up with fleas because we're pretty sure they were planning on stealing them. That's not an experience you're going to normally get. Or trying to figure out if the illegal can grab your shotgun before he realizes that you've already got a pistol on him. See, that's not normal stuff that people deal with. I've seen sunsets in Texas and New Mexico that I don't care how hard of a person you are, it sits you back in the chair and you just, you're just in awe. 
I've seen things with wildlife people will never see. I've spent hours miserably and having fun with other trappers that most people never get to experience. I've had days this summer where I should have been doing lure and Cindy's like, let's go on the boat and we go out on the boat and I throw some catfish hooks over the side and we sit there and read our Kindles and lay in the sun like turtles. That is way more valuable than I would have made sitting in this lure shed making money. It's not saying I'm being irresponsible. I'm just not going to chase it to the point where that's the only thing that I care about. Another thing that uh, kind of made me think about this is a quote that I just heard from Elon Musk. And I can tell you that me and my wife have invested in a company called Rivion. You can look them up online. They're, they're starting to make uh, battery-powered electric trucks that go 0 to 60 in 3 seconds. And SUVs that are sweet. So we invested some money in them. And when I first saw them, i tell you what my response was. I want one. Four-wheel drive. Zero to 60. Go 400 miles. Now, I know that was going to cause marriage problems because Cindy would kick my ass because I knew I would go use that trapping. Because they're about $60,000. But we decided not to get one and we invested some money into the company. Now see what Elon Musk said, actually I heard after this which really put this into a, a different perspective. What Elon Musk said was in if you're struggling for money you don't get a subscription to Netflix. Take the $15 and invest in Netflix. Do you not see the radical difference of what someone that's worth, I don't know how many billions of dollars is from the average American? Because I know all kind of people that strive, that struggle to make all the money they can. And you're going to lose it when you get older. You're probably not going to make enough to overtake a nursing home. You're not. But wouldn't you rather be able to sit back and think about sunsets in New Mexico? Watching your cameraman pretty much crap his pants as a hog breaks a snare loose and he's wanting to get B-roll footage. Finding people out in the middle of the desert that are crazy as a loon and you end up having a good time because you took the time to talk with them for about an hour. 
See, we're not talking about the technical part of trapping. We're talking about the real part of trapping. It's the experiences. I've seen deer that will make most deer hunters cry while I've been out trapping. I just sit there and watch them. Just amazed. I've almost had my truck run over by a herd of wildebeest in Texas. See, that's the crap I'm talking about that is important. My advice, even though it's not worth much, yes, you have to make money, but you need to invest in your life as a human being with experiences. And if you're chasing money, that's the only experience you have. Because where I live now, it's all older people. And most of the older people can't do anything. Because all they've done their whole life is chase money. They had big plans. They were going to travel. One of the partners gets sick. They tear out a knee. They do something, and before it's all said and done, they work their whole life, and they pretty much survive from that point on. Go enjoy life. You need to invest in those experiences as much as you do in your financial future. Because one of them is just gone and you don't even know how. And the other one, you never, ever can lose. So just think about that. I don't know why that's been on my mind, but I just thought I'd share that with y'all. All righty, let's get to flat sets. We talked about dirt holes last time. Basically, it's a hole, put a trap in front of it, beside it, behind it. I've even seen people put uh, dig dirt holes and put the trap in the hole. I've seen people put traps upside down in front of a hole, thinking someone's going to flip it over and then step in it. I've seen everything. Dirt holes, pretty basic. Flat sets, even more basic. A flat set can be used on anything. You can catch muskrats with it. You can catch coyotes with it. Bobcats, fox, coon, beaver, marten, fisher, Trying to think if there's anything I'm missing. Even the possum and the skunk. Hell, I've even caught ringtail cat, the first one I've ever seen in my life with my own eyes, on a flat set. And a swift fox, for, for as I'm thinking about this. And I know you can catch wolves on them. Because the, the only time I've ever tried to catch wolves was when I was in Alaska. I had very junky equipment, and I tried trapping them with number four jumps. And I did connect, and they disassembled the traps. And it was on a flat set with a urine mixed in water that was frozen in my freezer and used kind of like a big urine post set next to a snowmobile trail.
That's flat set. If you've got an odor, guys, that's attractive to an animal, a lot of times that's all you need. Now, the reason most newer trappers lean towards a dirt hole set is because they can see it. Because it is obvious to the trapper that something's going on. But that didn't have anything to do with the animal. Have you ever watched an animal walk around? They smell this. They smell that. They go over here and smell that. They walk down here. They smell something. They go over to it and they smell it. It could be where a deer went up against a bush the night before. It could be where a rabbit peed three days ago. They just walk around smelling stuff. That's what animals do. When I watched... Um, the first time I ever really got into muskrat trapping, it was based off of uh, something I learned from O'Gorman. I don't know if it was in a video or if it was a book or what it was. And basically all he did was go to creek banks that had muskrats and make flat sets for muskrats, which was... If it had an overhanging bank, it'd be even better. But if it was a straight up and bank and you could get a trap in front of it, it would it was fine. And he would dip his lure on a stick and stick the stick about six to eight inches above the water level, put a trap in front of it. That's a flat set for a muskrat. Since then, I've caught hundreds of beavers using the same principle. Sometimes it's on a tree. Sometimes it's on a stump. Sometimes it's on a bank, just like a muskrat. I'll put lure of some kind, depending on what time of the year it is or, or, or whatever. It could be a caster base. It could be a food, a food lure. I'll just put a stick. I know people now that instead of making caster mound sets, they just flip the lure up on the trail. That's pretty much what I do. I don't really take the time anymore to go build a mound for visual effect. Because animals go from one thing to the other, smelling them. I'm not saying visual is bad. Please don't misunderstand what I'm telling you here. But a lot of time the visual is more for the trapper's confidence than it is for the animal's need to get caught. It used to be that coyote trappers would laugh at anybody that would set dirt holes for coyotes. Let that sink in. Guys that made a living, mostly out west, mind you, because that's where most of the coyotes were back in the time before they kind of took over the east, they were in the west. And to them, it was just like the purest form of amateur to try to fox trap a coyote. 
because a lot of coyotes especially if it's not a natural looking dirt hole they're not going to play that game but a flat set it plays off their natural habits of going from one thing to the other and smelling it that's how <laughs> simple a flat sets works you put an odor whether it be lure smeared bait a gland lure urine anything you can come up with on something and that can be grass could be a tree it could be a car bumper it could be a rock it could be a bush it can be a root it can be absolutely anything it's irrelevant about what the object is now I know we as trappers we get into routines where we just use a grass clump we just use a cactus we just use this or use that. that <coughs> that's us. That doesn't have anything to do with the set working. You put an odor on something and you look at it and go, well, this is the way the wind is. And this is probably how the animal is going to come smell it. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Let me drink some water real quick. And you put a trap there so you can catch him. I'm going to say something for flat sets that's going to make some people that are, it's probably going to be very confusing for them because I am a lure maker. I make a living now selling lure. I was making it today. I finished up 20 gallons of um, Simply Mice, got it all labeled in totes, and, and then... Alan said that we're running short on Apple Tactical Nuke for deer. So I made, I'm looking over there, probably about 80 jars of that. That's what I did today. And I'm going to tell you, when it comes to flat sets, subtle is better. What do I mean by that? You can take something like boss dog that when you open up a four ounce jar of that and you're sitting with four ounces in a jar and you and it's got all of that surface area because it's you know i guess two inches across and you open that lid up and it just goes wow it just comes out and attacks you because it's four ounces it's been enclosed and it's got a lot of surface area now if you're going to make a flat set and this is what I believe happens because I know this is how I used to think oh my goodness I don't have a hole there's nothing here for him to see I got to make sure I can put enough stank down that I can smell it from 20 feet away that's you that's not the animal so what did Clint do he would get something like boss dog and get a stick and come back out of that thing 
with probably half a teaspoon of lure because of my lack of confidence in what I was doing and what I was using. And I would put that in, say, a grass clump. Did I catch stuff doing that? Yes. But I had, I guarantee you, way more stuff that did not get close enough to get in the trap because they didn't have to get close enough to get to the trap because I put on stank wallapalooza on them. And I want you to think about something from an animal's point of view, which I'm not sure a lot of trappers really understand when it comes to lure. Because I hear it all the time. Well, does your cat collector have skunk in it? No, it does not. Well, I live in Maine and it's cold and I've got to have something that's loud. Really? Why don't you tell that to all the Canadian trappers that use my cat collector to catch all the lynx that they're catching and they're not using skunk. All that lure that I send to Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, Michigan, Maine, New York. Repeat customers. And it's not an, just a, a blow-your-head-off type odor comes out of Cat Collector. It's sticky odor. It'll stay with you a long time. But it's not like this, whoa! Now, in some places, I think it's fine to use that. Personally, I wouldn't use that all the time. because it's too much and I'm a lure making telling you you're using too much how much lure do I use at a flat set I want to stick a stick think about I don't know size of a pencil in the lure and I just want it to barely coat the sides that's it. I don't want a great big old glob. Now, from financial reasons, from a lure maker point of view, yeah, for guys that want to use that great big old clod at every single set, I make more money when you do that because you can't get that many sets. I lose money if you do what I'm telling you to do right now. Less is more. If it's really warm outside at the beginning of the season, like today it was, uh, I think we're supposed to reach 48 today. I consider that warm. Next week, when we get down in the low 20s and we barely make it out of freezing, that's a little bit cooler. I would still consider that because where I live, it's in the next few days, it's going to be 40 degrees again. It's going to be above freezing at night because it's early season. We don't get brutal cold here till, uh, or for us anyway, till January and February and March. We cycle up and down. So I consider where I'm at in, I guess, middle northern Tennessee, even warm, even though we're, we're going to be down to 22 degrees. 
that's all the lure I'm going to put on that flat set. Now I may use more than one lure, which I do often, or I may actually smear a bait, which at that time I'm probably going to smear about half a, uh, see, I don't know, a table puts, one of those little white spoons, disposable spoons, whatever those are, I think they're teaspoons. I'd about half of that volume for bait and I'm going to smear it into a grass, a grass clump or on the side of a tree or under a rock or something like that. I'm not putting an ounce. It's not needed, guys. See, what I want you to gather when you're putting flat sets in, one, you're going to have to trust that the animal's going to do what he always does. He goes from one thing to the other and smells it. Two, he smells in a range that you cannot even comprehend. So, if you've ever smelt Boss Dog at a convention, you open it up and it, it just like just attacks your nose. Okay. That's what you smell. Now, if I made that same lure, which I couldn't with those ingredients for reasons I'm not going to get into, but if I was going to make that lure twice as strong, I probably could sell more lures because I would be selling to trappers, but not the animal. Because the trapper's going to think it's going to reach out further. And I guess to a point you might be able to somewhat say it is, but is it needed? That's the question. See, to you, if it was twice as strong, it would be better. What if it was 10 times as strong? 10 times. If you want to know what that would be like, go to a powerlifting website and order you some smelling salts of ammonia that they use while they're trying to get their their uh, big lifts at their meats. If you've ever seen them do it, they, they take a jar and they open it and their head flies back and their eyeballs roll up in their head and their nose starts running. It, it's so strong that it actually puts you your nervous system into a fight or flight mode. You can't even control that at that point. It's such a, a attack on your nose that you do that. That would be about like 10 times what Boss Dog is. But a coyote, according to several studies, is between 600 and 800 times better at smelling than you are. Now, I sell a ton of Federales. It's not an overly strong bait. The reason I keep selling so much of it every year is because people keep catching so much on it every year. But it's not a, a super strong bait. But if you compare that to simply mice, which is nothing but mice that are ground up and preserved with just enough glycerin in there so it doesn't freeze on you, 
That's all that's in Simply Mice. That's it. If you open a jar of Federales, which is not a foul, blow your nose off bait, and then you smell Simply Mice, well, you may have a hard time smelling Simply Mice because it's just mice ground up. I probably now am getting close to selling as much Simply Mice as I do Federales. Why? Because people catch a lot of stuff on it. How is that possible when one is probably a quarter of the odor to Simply Mice to Federales? How is that possible? Because that's to me and you. That's not to animals that are smelling 400 times better, 600 times better, or 800 times better. I've never seen a study on beaver. I don't know what their, their abilities are. But I bet you it's way above ours. I don't know what a muskrat... Uh, I've never seen a study on a muskrat... I know Fox, it's a lot higher. I mean, coyotes and fox can find dead mice under four foot of snow. We can't, we, we couldn't, we, we wouldn't even know there's something there. A dog, which does not even have the, as good a sense as uh, a bloodhound, does not have as good a sense as a coyote, can smell skin cells off a human for three days. And we're worried that if we don't get this big hunking glob on the end of a stick for a flat set, the animal's not going to find it. Are you kidding me? A cow can probably smell where a mouse farted three hours ago. Now, a bear smells better than a coyote. I've heard it where biologists say that a bear can smell another bear in heat over 200 miles away. And see, we're thinking in terms of trappers. We're not thinking in terms of animals. So do you gotta have something that's super duper strong when it's colder? No, because it already is super duper stronger. If you open it up and you take a big old whiff and you're like, oh, oh, it's strong. The only thing I'm going to say different for this is skunk. And I'm not going to get into a lot of lure stuff here because we're going to get off of this subject, but I want to explain something for people out there. Skunk in lures is not for the odor of skunk. That's not what it's for. Yeah. Animals will eat skunks that are caught in traps, and when you you know throw them out of the traps and stuff, they will eat them. I, I'm not saying they don't. 
in lure skunk does something very different think of think of um, hellfire from jeff or gusto from tim caven those are i don't even know what you'd classify those lures at as far as in any classical type of vernacular it's not a call lure the way call lures have traditionally been said because it's so much skunk but what skunk does is it's got a two-sided molecule that's sticky because it's two-sided and it attaches to other things other odors skunk is very volatile if you've ever hit a skunk or you've been sprayed by a skunk or uh, been in the woods and one gets hits on the road 300 yards away and you smell it almost instantly, it's extremely volatile. So that means it goes through the air very well. What it does on stuff like, and I'm, I'm speaking, I'm not speaking for hellfire or gusto or lures like that because i know since jeff got so successful with here there's there's a ton of people trying to copy it but what a lot of guys don't realize with and i don't know what's what's in gusto and i don't know exactly what's in hellfire but i've talked to jeff enough to know guys what's making hellfire work you're not even smelling the skunk's a carrier. It's pushing. So I just told you that you don't have to have something that is super strong to catch. And I'm saying there's lures that are really good like Hellfire and Gusto, and I'm sure there's a thousand more out there if you make it. I'm sure yours is fine. I don't want to make it. <clears throat> you can use something like that. I think the best way is in a conjunction with something else at the set so it can pick up the odors and move them further. Not to go in a big long class about lure. Humidity plays a lot to whether a lure goes up or down or out. The makeup of that lure has a lot to do with that. So if you're going to do flat sets with something like Hellfire, I would suggest using something else with it. Just so it's in the same, it doesn't have to be on the same stick, it can be right next to each other so it can push it out. That's a little bit different than having something that's just super rotted smelling and just overly loud. That's, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make here. There's nuances in everything. So we're going to have lure at a set. Now, if we go back and listen to the woofers that caught way more coyotes than we do today individually with crappy equipment but they did have longer checks just so everybody understands most of those guys only ran their traps every week they just ran a bunch of lines but they caught with crappy equipment 
and a lot less better lure than we do today, they use flat sets. And I've seen flat sets used in a lot of different ways, and I just use them very creatively because I stick to the basic principle. Animals go from one thing to the other, and they smell stuff. I'm just giving them something to smell, and I'm putting a trap between the way they're going to smell it, and then they get caught. That's it. I'm staying to the basic principles of flat sets. So it can be on anything. But when you look at the old woofers, mast, and uh, you really get into people that uh, studied the old woofers, like O'Gorman. He's talking about George Good and some guys out of Oregon and Bill Nelson. The thing that they did very differently than I think we do a lot today are their flat sets is most of those guys would use three different odors. Three different lures. One could be a bait, one could be a lure, one could be a different type lure, one could be a gland, one could be urine. It could be a, a variety of different things. It could be something like uh, boss dog, fur check, and musky. Three totally different things. So when they find what they were using most of, out west is using grass clumps or brush or cactus or um, sage and they would put those just about an inch apart smear them into or stick them into the ground underneath a bunch of cover with the idea that the cow may not like one but he's going to get really turned on by the other or the combination of all the above is going to be more attractive. We today, when you watch demos and DVDs and you talk to people, most people it's either a smear of bait and some urine or some lure and a gland lure or a gland lure and urine. We really don't follow the principles that the old wolfers did when they were so successful. Am I saying you have to use three lures at every flat set? No. I'm saying you may be better off if you tried it. But don't be afraid of using different odors at a set. One of those could be something like Hellfire. One of those could be Boss Dog, and it could be a smear of Federales or Simply Mice. I would at least go with two odors. The only time that I really get away from using multiple odors at a flat set for me personally is if I'm using something like Simply Mice or a milder bait like Federales or Primal Paste Bait. I learned using bait at flat sets from Matt Jones. He's a master at it. He'd find a grass clump, he would smear his bait into the bottom of the grass, and he'd set his trap to how he thought the animal was going to approach the set. And as Matt says, he whacked them and stacked them. And he did. 
Now the old woofers wasn't just using bait the way Matt does, but it obviously works. And I've seen Matt just use lure. We all get caught up in little stuff that doesn't always matter. All you're doing with a flat set, I don't care if it's the side of a building, I don't care if it's an old truck tire, I don't care what it is. If it's on location, a coyote is going to go over and investigate it, or a fox, or if it's close to the water, a coon, a beaver, an otter, a muskrat. All you're doing is giving them something to go from one smell to the other and you're putting a piece of equipment in, in front of it. Land trapping though, to do flat sets, is a skill set. If you trap out west, you'll notice all the guys out west go to where there's open soil because there's a lot of open soil out there. They don't have just sod everywhere the way we do in the east. Grass, hay, stuff like that. Out there, it's normally drier. Over here, it's normally wetter. So when they're out early season trapping, they go to where they can easily blend in a trap in front of an attractant for an animal to smell because they can bed a trap, they can get more dry dirt, they can feather it all out, and within a couple hours, you won't even know where the trap's at. I used to think that they had an advantage. I don't anymore. I think it's pretty equal in the east and west. But the trick of what makes a flat set work is you don't get out of the principle of an animal's going to smells, to smells, to smells. But what you don't want to do with a flat set is give him anything else to think about. Which means if you're in sod and you bed your trap and you sift dirt over it and leave it alone, you just gave him something to think about. It is not natural. Guys out west don't have to worry about that because they're picking places where it's all soil. In the east, if you're going to be trying to blend into dirt, guys, you've got to use some common sense. Now, I've been with Jeff up in places up in Michigan where it's like sugar sand. You can treat that just like the West. Absolutely. You get a rain or whatever, it doesn't matter. Most of us, however, don't have sugar sand in places like certain other places do. You're dealing with soils that have clay mixtures, gumbo mixtures, loam with clay, sand with clay or sand with loam and I don't want to get too geeky on this again but you're going to have more issues in the east with wet dirt in cold weather if you're using anything besides sugar sand that's naturally in that area because you can blend that pretty easy it's hard to blend mud into open ground where 
everything else looks like natural ground. It's really hard. You can do it, and after a couple of days with enough wind and stuff like that, it can be passable, but it's probably not the best, which means for the east, you're better off being in grass, leaves, pine straw, hay, stuff like that, because of with grass clippings, you can shred pine straw, you can get uh, cedar duff, you can shred leaves. If you're in the woods, I'll give you a good hint for flat sets. Right now, while the leaves are falling, go out and get a whole bunch of them, put them in uh, plastic, uh, great big garbage bags and just throw them somewhere and forget about them. Next year, it'll start breaking down into compost. It'll already be a tenth of the size that it was. Especially if you leave it on top of the ground with the cover over it, all the worms will start coming up, start tearing it apart. Oh, you got beautiful material to be in the woods making flat sets. And it's free. <coughs> if you're going to be in fields, grass clippings. Or get you some shears and just use whatever's there at the time. But you have to be able to, and this is where the skill set comes in to make a viable flat set. You have to be able to blend the set so you don't alarm the animal or get him to step somewhere just because something looks janky. In a rock used as a flat set in a hay field with a sifted area over the trap is janky. I'm not saying you won't ever catch anything, but you're going to be a whole lot of things you ain't going to catch. The biggest skill set is not the flat set itself. It is blending the trap. And it takes practice to be able to blend a trap where it looks right. And blend a trap where you don't put so much material on top of it that it clogs your jaws up. It takes experience. And if you've ever been around someone that blends a lot of traps, they make it look so dang easy. It's because they've done it a thousand times. Now, when you first start going, if you're a dirt hole trapper and you're going to go out and experiment with flat sets, and I'm not even going to get into the snow part of this because I don't have enough experience with that, but open ground, It's not going to be as pretty when you first start. And you're going to put too much material. You're going to lose some animals. Or you're going to not put enough. And the first time you get a little bit of rain, it stands out like a sore thumb. You're going to have to just build that skill set up to be able to be a good trap blender. And once you got it, you got it. That's the real skill set of a, a blind set is blending the trap in. It's not exactly that you just stick a, a stick with some lure in it in a grass clump. That's not the skill part. I mean, good grief, a, a two-year-old could do that. It might be messy, but he could do it. But what separates good flat set trappers from mediocre and bad flat set trappers is blending of that trap. 
you need to look at that like you're an artist. Some people use kneeling pads, kneeling cloths. It's not a bad idea. Some people have brushes that they can flick in stuff from the sides and you know, I mean, there's, there's a mirage of things you can do to try to blend a trap in. That's the key. That's the big skill set. That's the one you're going to have to work on. And lastly, the thing that you're going to, the only way you're going to get good at flat sets is put them in enough that you start catching. Because if you're a dirt hole trapper, you're not going to not like having dirt. You're not going to like that. I didn't trust any of the flat sets I put in when I started. Because there wasn't nothing there. Wasn't nothing to see. But I didn't understand at the time how well animals can smell. If a dog can track your skin cells three days later and you put a couple of lures on a stick and stick it in a grass clump and the wind and you're setting your trap to work with the wind and that cow gets within 15 feet of that, he knows it's there. He knows it. He may not work it, but he knows it because there's no guarantee he's going to work your dirt hole either. A lot of coyotes just flat aren't going to do it. And then three months from later, if you're running control work, sure enough, he shows up and walks in there like he owns a place and gets caught. For a long time, he just doesn't work it. The beauty of flat sets for fox, coyotes, gray fox, even raccoon on dry land, I'm talking dry land right now, is it's really hard if you know how to blend a trap in for people to start stealing your stuff. And if you're using everything that's in your environment, trees, grass, bushes, man-made material, trash, uh, old washing machines, it doesn't matter what it is, all your sets are going to be naturally different, which is very good if you're going after uh, canines. So it forces you to be different. Or people get in a habit with a dirt hole where they just repeat the same thing over and over again. So if you've never used them, do yourself a favor. Run 50-50. But here's what I want you to do to make it an honest an honest run for your money. Where you want to put that dirt hole, if you're a dirt hole trapper, it's probably going to be the better set. Put the flat set there. Then put your dirt hole somewhere else. It can be close. I don't care. But don't put the flat sets, if you're not sure about them, in the, in the, the lesser places and then go, see, they don't work. That's a bias. You got to fight that stuff. Because if you'll do that, and once you start catching in flat sets, your confidence starts building in flat sets, you're going to be going, 
do I really want to sit there and dig a hole? I'm not saying you shouldn't use dirt holes. I still use dirt holes. But a lot of times, you just flat don't need it. Remember, be the laziest trapper you can be, but still be efficient. And that's where the flat set can be a game changer for people that don't use them a lot. I hope that's helped. Uh, I'm going to talk about blind sets next time. I don't know if that will cover the whole show, so maybe something else. But um, hopefully that helps you out. Guys, I'm telling you, flat sets rock, but you got to give them a chance. you got to be willing to not see something to catch something sometimes. If you'll do that, you'll find out that now you're a better trapper than you were when you didn't use them. All right, guys, go get them.